You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. We continue with our series, uh, Believe, and uh, we are just two weeks away from wrapping this up. Next week, uh, we, we started this on Father's Day, and we're going to wrap it up on what we're calling Family Day, and that's going to be next week as uh, our children will be uh, joining us, and it'll be a, a joint uh, uh, children and youth-led uh, worship team, and so I encourage you to come and uh, experience that. We'll worship together as a family, and uh, afterwards, you can, uh, of course, uh, come and be a part of the Fayette County Fair as we'll be joining there together. But we've been talking about Believe, and, and the statement that we've been making is with, uh, with the importance of believing, is that if we believe there must then be connected to that belief a point of action. To have no action is to have no belief. To every belief, there must be a point of action. When we believe something, it changes the way we live, if you really believe it. There was a gentleman who had uh, gotten off in an elevator, and when he walked off the elevator, he walked by, he was a, a young man, and he walked by two good-looking girls. And as he walked by these, these good-looking girls, uh, he didn't take, uh, try to make it obvious that he noticed, but what he did recognize is that they were looking at him. And so as he walked by, he saw them looking at him. And as they walked by, he heard them say in, a, in an accent, he didn't recognize, but he heard them say, that's a nine. All of a sudden, his chest pumps out a little bit. He walks a little further. I mean, he's feeling pretty good because he just heard them say, that's a nine. And so he walks up. His friend is standing there, and his buddy's not too far away. And he walks up. He says, do you hear that? He said, those girls said that I'm a nine. The guy looked at him and said, dude, they're from Germany. Nine means no. When you believe something, it changes the way you live. He, he believed that he was, he, he believed they said it was a nine in the number, not the, the nine in Germany, or the German that means no, but the, the nine, the, the change of perception that when you believe something, it changes the way that we live, the way that we are. This morning, we're going to look today at, at our core belief or, or at a foundational belief, and it's this, we believe that God restores broken lives and families. We believe that God restores broken lives and families. And I want to talk today about that belief, that if we believe that God restores broken lives and families, then if we believe that, there must be a point of action connected to that belief. It must result in something. In 1 Kings, we're going to look at the story of Solomon as he begins his kingship. He is following his father, David. And let me give you a background of this story. We're going to pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 2. Solomon steps on the scene... And Solomon steps into some messy stuff because David, unfortunately, had made some foolish decisions. He had, he had not allowed uh, himself to be self-controlled. He made some foolish decisions. As a result, his son, Absalom, took over his kingdom and, and chased him out of, out of uh, Jerusalem and chased him out of the city. And when he chased him out, in fact, he was running for his life. And David did not make good choices. Solomon is left now to pick up the pieces that occurred under David's leadership, and mainly under David's leadership of his home. The issue with, with Israel at the time was not Israel as a whole, but was Israel in its temple or in its, in its palace. The problem with Israel was not the nation as a whole, but the problem with Israel was the palace was not in good order. David's home 
was not well attended to and taken care of. Each of his, or not each of, but two of his sons in particular had, had control issues and they wanted to be in power. Absalom chases David out. He wants to be in power. Later, while David is, is towards the end of his life, his other son rises up and he makes himself king. And here it is, a power struggle. And we understand this, that when control is in the wrong hands and, and when control belongs to the wrong person, it's out of control. The wrong person seeking control can cause the situation to be out of control. It, the control is not just that someone has control of it, it's that the right person has rightful control of it. Think about that. Someone can have control, but because you have control of the situation doesn't mean you have control. It's still out of control because the control doesn't belong to you. And if we're control freaks, if we're people who love to have control, if we're people who, who, who don't know where control belongs in the times that when it's proper to have control and where we're not to have control, that we understand. And, and how many know that's just all the part of learning how to live together? Yeah. Isn't that fun? Wouldn't life be a lot better if everybody just let you control them? I mean, everything would be so peaceful if everybody would just do what you wanted them to do, Right? It would just be a lot better that way. Well, the reality is that that is true. But it's what, not when everybody does what you or I or what the other person says, but when we allow our control to come from God or to be controlled by God. That we're controlled by him. Here's David, and, and David did not, even though he's called a man after God's own heart, he still didn't make good decisions. But even after that, God called him a man after God's own heart. He did restore him because we believe God is a God of restoration. God did restore and make new. Let me just give you, here, here's what, what David uh, faced. David was kicked out of, out of the, his, uh, the kingdom by his son. His son is, is wanting to kill him. And in fact, you can read, I believe it's in uh, Samuel, um, where it says, uh, 2 Samuel, uh, verse 16, it says there that uh, David is running away for his life. And here's another guy, and this is who we're going to look at. His name is Shemaiah. Shemaiah shows up on the scene, and he is a relative of Benjamin, or the, the tribe of Benjamin. And the reason that's important is because it was his relative who was the first king of Israel. He was of the line of Benjamin, which is where Saul came from. How many know that Saul was the first king of Israel? And so Saul was a Benjamite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And so Benjamin had rule of the king, of the, of the kingdom. But all of a sudden, Benjamin lost control because Saul lost control. The kingdom was taken away from him, and it was given to David. And as it was given to David, David is now in in control or in, in the place of, uh, as the king. But as he's being chased out, Shemaiah comes along and Shemaiah begins to curse him and begins to throw dirt at him and says, this is what you deserve. You, cook, you took the kingdom from Benjamin or from Saul. It's all your fault and so you're getting what you deserve. Now here's the reality. David did not take the kingdom from Saul. David didn't take it from Saul. In fact, you can read in 2 Samuel 15 is where it says, or 1 Samuel 15 is where uh, Samuel comes to Saul and says, rebellion is like witchcraft. Because you have rebelled or rejected the Lord, he is taking the kingdom from you. So the reason he lost the kingdom was because of his rebellion, which is like witchcraft. I want you to hear this today. Rebellion is the opposite of restoration. When you continue in rebellion, rebellion is the opposite of restoration. Rebellion means to repeat the old. 
and to remain in the same process of what has always been. You're rebelling against new things. You're rebelling against God making you new because you're attacking or addressing your situation the same way you always did. But at some moment, there needs to be a change and God allows, or we allow God to do something different in the process. Here it is, uh, Shemaiah is the problem. He curses David. David's men said, we should go over and kill Shemaiah. He's cursing you, we should kill him. David says, no, my son is after me. My son wants to kill me. What is this man? My son is after me. Maybe God has told him to curse me. We'll let him go. No big deal. Well, big deal, but David says we're not going to deal with it now. A little bit later, David is brought back to to, uh, the temple or back to the, the palace, and he's made king again. He's put back in his rightful place. Guess who the first person is to show up when David gets back? Shemaiah. Shemaiah is the first person to show up, and Shemaiah comes to David, and Shemaiah says, hey, you know that stuff we did when we were out walking and I threw dirt at you? You know, when I threw a little bit of dirt at you? Isn't it something that when you do something of great offense, you always try to make it sound like it's no big deal? I was looking at a car to buy, and I'm like, uh, the car has a dent. And the guy, yeah, it's just a small dent. What? That's not a small dent. That's, yeah, it, it, I just, I, I had to laugh every time he said, yeah, that little dent. It's not a little dent. Quit calling it a little dent. How many know we do the same thing with God? You know that small offense, that little sin, that little thing I did. It's not that... Quit downsizing. And here's, here's Shimei, he shows up. You remember, you know, that when I threw that dirt at you and that stuff, I cursed you, you know, no big deal. Just, I just want you to forget that. David responds to him. David says, I'm not gonna kill you. I'll have mercy on you. But he says to him, just because I've given you mercy doesn't mean you're innocent. And so Shimei is in this place and I wanna pick it up here. Here's the story, 1 Kings chapter, chapter 2. And here it is, David is about ready to die. And here's what he says, look at verse eight. He's talking to his son Solomon. He says, and remember Shemaiah, son of Gerah, the man from Behurim in Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Mahanam. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him. But that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, Solomon, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. Now that's violent, huh? Can I tell you though, we must deal with rebellion violently. Jesus said it this way in the New Testament. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now Jesus is not talking in the literal sense, although he's tying in what they would have done in their culture, that if you got caught for stealing, oh buddy, they'd be sure you never took again with your hands because you would lose your hands. That was the punishment for stealing in that, in that time. And Jesus is saying, you need to deal with rebellion, with, with, with the, the acts of rebellion. You must cut them off. And here's what he says. David says that uh, to Solomon, you will know how to arrange a death for Shemaiah. Look at verse 36. Here's how the wisdom of Solomon comes in. Verse 36, the king, King Solomon, sent for Shemaiah and told him, build a house here in Jerusalem and live there, but don't step outside the city or go anywhere else. On the day that you cross the Kidron Valley, you will surely die. Your blood will be on your own head. Listen, he says your blood will be on your own head. He is giving him a line and saying, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to destroy you. But if you act in rebellion and you step where you don't belong, then you have done it to yourself. It is not our punishment. It's not what has been put upon us. It's what we have put upon ourselves. God does not send anybody to hell. 
Some of you are like, what? I don't, I don't, I can't buy that. Here's the truth. If anyone goes to hell, it's because they've rejected the gospel. They've rejected the word of God. And so it is not God sending them to hell. It is not God's desire that anyone should perish. If anyone or when anyone goes to hell, it's not because God has sent them. It's because their own choices and their decisions have brought them to that place. He's telling Shemaiah, I don't want to kill you. I'm not going to kill you. But should you step out of bounds, you've done it to yourself. We got to hear that sometimes. That there's some results in our lives and circumstances in our lives that we got to be real and say, I did this to myself. This is what I've allowed, I've given way to. And how many know David didn't know how to take control of his house? So Solomon has to do what David didn't do. It's kind of this way the next generation had to fix the mess of the former generation. The next generation had to fix the mess that the former generation wasn't willing to take control over. Is that true? David wasn't able to take control of his house. Solomon had to do. Now, read Solomon long enough, Solomon fell short too. Solomon Solomon got caught up with too many women. I think he learned it from his dad. Somewhere along the way, it had the effect. Here's what he says. He says... uh, don't leave the end of verse 37. It'll be on your own head. Verse 38, Shemaiah replied, your sentence is fair. I will do whatever my Lord the king commands. So Shemaiah lived in Jerusalem for a long time. But three years later, two of Shemaiah's slaves escaped to King Achish of Gath where Shemaiah lived or learned that his slaves were there. And when he learned that, he saddled his donkey and went to Gath to search for his slaves. When he had found them, he took them back to Jerusalem. Solomon heard that Shemaiah had left Jerusalem and had gone to Gath and returned. So he sent for Shemaiah and demanded, didn't I make you swear by the Lord and warn you not to go anywhere else or you would surely die? And you replied, the sentence is fair. I will do as you say. Then why haven't you kept your oath to the Lord and obeyed my command? The king also said to Shemaiah, You surely remember all the wicked things you did to my father, King David. May the Lord punish you for them. But may I receive the Lord's rich blessings and may one of David's descendants always sit on this throne. Then at the king's command, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, took Shemaiah outside and killed him. Oops. That's violent. But listen to the last verse here. So the kingdom was now firmly in Solomon's grip. The kingdom was firmly in Solomon's grip. Father, I ask today that you would help us to get a grip on the things that have gone out of control in our world. Father, we can't control the world, but God, there's things in our homes and in our lives that we can. So God, help us to take control and get a grip of those things. Give us wisdom today. We pray so that restoration might come, and we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I want to give you, just this morning, uh, looking at this scripture of restoration, look at your neighbor and say, get a grip. Get a grip. Would you? Get a grip. Look at yourself. Get a grip. The moment you need to get a grip on something is that moment that something is getting out of control. And when you don't have a grip on it, it it begins to move the opposite direction. Getting a grip is when we come to the place and we say, okay, 
enough is enough. Halt. Push the pause button. We're not going to continue in the pattern of what has been. We're going to get a grip so that we can turn course and allow something different to happen. Here's the problem. Too many times, this is how we do it. We, we, we try to respond to life and bring restoration this way. I really don't want to keep going this direction. But yet all the while, we keep going this direction. I really don't want, and here's how we do it sometimes. You know, uh, I want peace and joy in my life. I want peace and joy in my life. And everything we want, peace and joy, and we attach to the lack of peace and joy being all the circumstances and problems that are around us. If we didn't have these circumstances, we would have peace and joy. That's not true. Peace and joy comes when we learn how to respond to the circumstances that are around us. And here's what we do. I want peace and joy. And all the while, we keep responding to life the same way we've always responded to life. If you really want peace and joy, at some point, you better get a grip and quit doing what you've done before and do it differently. And I want you to know, every day gives us an opportunity to get a grip. Have you ever been bothered by something on a regular basis? Is there something? And and if I were to ask you, husband and wife, what is the one thing that you fight about the most? And not fight, because that's real. We, no one fights here. Uh, what's the one thing you disagree about the most? What's the one thing that you calmly discuss in disagreement the most? If you were to say, what is that one thing? Now, let's all be honest. How many could say, I could probably point out the one thing? I know what it is. So you don't have to raise your hand. Some of you are like, I am not a sucker. I'm not raising my hand. All the guys know the moment you raise your hand. So what was it, honey? <laughs> Smart. You know that one thing, and and you would identify there's this thing that repeats itself, and it bothers you on a regular basis, and it's the same thing. Now, does that make sense? You you understand it. There are those certain things that just repeatedly bothers you. Okay, just to make sure I'm not the only one. Does that make, raise your hand if you're like me, and there are those things that can repeatedly bother you. All right. Just a couple of us. Someone pointed to somebody. That's not nice. Good thing it wasn't, it wasn't a spouse, so that was good. Here's the thing. Whatever is repeatedly bothering me, I have said it's that thing that's bothering me, and it's that thing or that person or that action or that situation that becomes my issue. And the reality is not that. It's how I'm responding to that. And I've got to get control of how I'm responding because the problem is not that. The problem is this. The problem is how I'm responding to what is in front of me and what is bothering me. I've got to get control. You know those things that agitate you? And then, you know, here was mine this morning. My schedule was agitating me. I, had, I said to my wife, I said, this happens to me all the time. I plan for this, and this doesn't happen because all this other stuff. It was just one of those, I was just venting. I was, I was mildly complaining. It really was mild, and uh, she was kind to just let it go. I just said, it seems I can't ever schedule anything to go the way I want it to go. It's like, I can't ever get, oh, my goodness, it's just crazy. I, I don't like it. And all the while, the Holy Spirit's saying, get a grip. And I'm like, yeah, we'll preach that, but I don't want to do that right now right? And here's what I had to practice in my mind. Hey, I've got to get a grip because if not, then what's bothering me will control me. And if I don't get control, I'll never rebound and be at a place of restoration, of peace, of joy, of newness, because I keep doing and responding to it the way I responded to it before. Whatever bothers you the most, and you keep responding, it, responding to it the way you always respond to it, 
you don't want restoration. You're walking in rebellion. If your anger always rises up the same way and you never get control of that, that's rebellion. If it rises up and depression or, or we let things control us, those things, and, and what I, even by saying depression, depression is an inward anger that's not, that's not expressed, but there can be an outburst anger that we can release. But if we don't take control of those things, if we don't get a grip, if we don't do what Paul said, take captive every thought that lifts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ, if we keep allowing that to happen and we don't get a grip, we're saying we'll take the path of rebellion and hope it somehow works out. But, re- but when we walk in restoration, what's restoration mean? It means to be made new. Now, I know this is kind of basic, but you can't expect something new if you use the same old measures. If you're using the same means, you can't expect something new to come from the old approach. In order to have something new, you've got to have a new approach to experience that. There's got to be something new, a new response that we give to that. If we're going to have restoration, here's what restoration is. Restoration is the opportunity to have a second chance. My, my uncle, he used to restore cars uh, before he got saved, and he would take old beat-up cars and he would restore them. I mean, it was literally like watching this vehicle get another chance at life. I mean, isn't that what we are? The mercy of God just giving us another chance? And when you think about it, do I deserve another chance? No, but his mercy has poured upon me and given me another chance. Now, you know what it is. Every moment you have an opportunity to respond differently. Your situation that that bothers you the same way, it happens again. And now you have an opportunity to respond differently than you responded before. Another opportunity, another chance. This is a chance and this is restoration in its process. How I respond to that determines whether or not I'm going to walk in restoration or rebellion. I know rebellion sounds strong, but it's the truth. To not walk and allow God to give control. If I'm not giving control to God, I'm taking control. And if I'm taking control, then I'm putting control in the wrong hands. Right? And I'm allowing rebellion in my life rather than God to work those things in my life. There's those things that we have to get a grip. And restoration is the process of making things new. I get a chance to have a new response. I get a chance to respond differently to this situation. And every time that that comes along, restoration is about having another chance. Of course, Revelation 21 says, behold, I make all things new. Here it is, Solomon is the next generation. I want you to see what Solomon has to do. Solomon is the next generation, and he's the next generation to clean up the mess of the former generation. Now, I don't want to be too hard on David, but we have to point out, David, David was a man after God's own heart, but he was not perfect. David did not have his act together in every area. David was a man of God, loved the Lord, but he let some things out of control and he didn't take control of his home. He should have taken control of Absalom before Absalom became a threat and a problem had he controlled that. So now here's Solomon having to deal with this. And now Solomon has the the repercussions of all the other issues. And Shemaiah is one of those issues. And here's what Solomon does because Shemaiah represents rebellion. The reason... David knew to tell Solomon, hey, you better watch Shemaiah because he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And if he goes over to the Kidron Valley, that's where all the Benjamite lives. Benjamites live. That's where the tribe of Benjamin is. He could go over there and stir up trouble. He could go over there and cause a rebellion. And if you let that out of control, it will cause problem for your house. 
it'll cause problem for your kingdom. If you don't keep this Shemaiah under control. See, every, every one of us have a Shemaiah inside of us that needs to be under control. There's something in us that's a rebellious, there's a rebellious in nature that we've got to keep under control, that we've got to, not us keep under control, but allow the Holy Spirit to control and to put to death that rebellion. Now that's violent, but we've got to kill the, the rebelling Shemaiah in our lives. Now listen, the rebelling Shemaiah is not people. The rebelling Shemaiah is the old me. Let me say that again. The rebelling Shemaiah is not people. So don't it all leave here. Pastor Jason just promoted violence. No, the Shemaiah is not people around us. The Shemaiah is the old me. That if I'm going to be made new in Christ, I've got to let the Shemaiah, the, the, the rebellious man in me. And here's what it is. Shemaiah represents the tribe of Benjamin. David, of course, David uh, the, from uh, Joseph, or from the tribe of uh, Jesse. And, and in that, that lineage, they're different. But if you recognize, how was Saul... How was Saul ordained as king? It was said of Saul, he's tall, he's handsome, all the physical attributes, everything about his nature, right? David, what was about him? (laughs) He's not the tallest, he's maybe handsome, but he's out in the field, there's nothing special about him, right? But who became the rightful king? The one who had nothing special about him. Why? Because the natural man or the powerful man, the man who controls in the physical has to die so that the supernatural can take over. Follow that? The spirit or the physical, the man, the man of flesh has to die so that the king of spiritual being can take over. I've got to let the old me die so that the king who belongs in rightful place, that the spirit of God can take over my life. Restoration will only happen when you let the old man die so that the rightful king can take the place. So the Shemaia of rebellion needs to die in our lives. There are things that we rebel. How did Solomon handle this? Here's what Solomon did. Solomon called Shemaiah. Hey, I want to meet with you. Come on over here. All right, Shemaiah, here's the rules. All right, you're going to live here. Solomon probably knew it's not going to be for long. Solomon said, here's what it is. You have a house right here. You stay in that house and you stay in Jerusalem. The moment you leave these borders, so help me I'm sure he said, so help me God. I don't know what he may have said, but he's made it clear to Shemaiah. He said, you leave these borders, you're dead. Here's what you and I have to do if we're gonna walk in restoration. There's some borders and boundaries we've gotta put on our lives. You'll never be the new man when you keep walking in the old ways. If you're the new man, then quit talking like the old one. If you're the new man, quit using language like the old one. If you're the new man, quit going where the old man went. If you're the new man, quit acting like the old man acted. If you're new, and by the way, we'll put ladies in there too. So we're, we're gender inclusive there. So, uh, but nicer saying old man than old lady. I just like that better. There are those things you've got to put boundaries on. You know what? Being a dad, I love being a dad. And I always had this thought that when my kids get out of diapers and they become more independent, They'll be easier. Why didn't you tell me? I thought we were friends. But I've realized the older they get, at least in the years of formative years, I've got greater responsibility now. I've got so much responsibility that I've got to, okay, what are you listening to? What are you watching? Where are you going? Who's going to be there? 
What's happening? I'm like, can't we put diapers on him and keep him in the crib? I mean, come on. But there's a responsibility. And here's the thing, dads and moms, but let me say to dads, dads, I can never draw the boundaries for my children if they don't watch the boundaries exposed in my life. I can't put boundaries on my kids that I'm not willing to walk. Here's the boundaries. The boundaries are this. You'll never talk to your mother this way because you'll never hear your dad talk to your mother that way. You won't ever act that way because dad's not gonna act that way either. I'm not gonna tell you not to talk to mom that way and then give myself liberty to say whatever I want about mom in front of mom. No, we don't do that. I'm gonna show you how to have boundaries on what you say. I'm gonna show you how to live. Am I perfect? No. Do I say to God, God, I need another chance. Give me another chance. Have I had to say to God, God, I need another chance at this. God, I missed that one. I need another shot. God in his mercy gives me another shot, but there are those boundaries. You know, I had to put boundaries. I was, uh, in, and being involved in what's going on in our home and in our world. You see, we've got this dysfunction. We call it dysfunction in our social world. That we call it dysfunction, this, this stuff that's out of control. It's a rebellious spirit that has invaded our lives. The problem is we have allowed it to creep and to a point now, listen, where good is called evil and evil is called good. If you're of the spirit of rebellion, that's more normal than to be of the spirit of self-control, right? It's more normal in our culture. Here's how I know that. My daughter had a group of friends over on her birthday. We're hanging out. It's all good. Yes, sometimes my kids will listen to secular music. <gasps> let, me, let me just explain that. We live in a world, it's on television, it's all around us. I don't want a religious spirit that makes it like, we're better than you are. We're better than you are. I teach my kids that religious spirit. They won't change the world at all. They'll push people to hell. If I raise my kids with a religious spirit, we do things better than you do. We do things better than you do. Uh, we're going to heaven. You might not. Mm-hmm. Jesus never said point out the laws that make people go to heaven. Jesus said point the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Just point me. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Just point to Jesus. If there are issues that need to change in our culture, in our world, forget the issue. Point to Jesus. He's the solution. He didn't tell me to come fix the issue. I can only, I can't fix it. It got to come to the end of me. And we talked last week, the only thing, the end of me, the end of the aqueduct at the higher, the upper pools, it all points to Jesus. All I'm supposed to do is, hey, there's one that can help. There's one who can bring hope. There's one. And so they've got friends that some of the friends don't have the best of mouths, maybe. Now, here's the thing though. If my kids start talking like them, then I've got to, wait a minute, come on back. But I want my family to be in a place of influence. I want us to have friends that people, I mean, they said of Jesus, what is he doing hanging out with them? They said of Jesus, what's he doing hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? What is that all about? Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. I came for the sick. I came for those who are hurting, for those who are sick. Where do you find those? (laughs) In the world where you were. Where'd you come from? (laughs) Look at what you came out of. Aren't you glad somebody went to where you were to bring hope and bring restoration? Aren't you glad somebody went to that place that you may have been in? Aren't you glad someone came to that point of need? Why? Because that's what restoration is. Restoration is going to where the old is so that the new might come and there might be something different. But we have to set the boundaries. I know it's a tight walk sometimes, being in the world, not of the world. I realize that, but I'm still the dad. My kids are used to it. Hey, what are you listening to? 
What's on your mind? In fact, the kids know this question. I'll ask them randomly. So what song was on your mind this morning when you woke up? Because I challenge my kids, if there's songs that are on your mind, then you might be out of balance in what you're, what's in the place around you, what's going on. My daughter had some friends over, and, and uh, they had their, their iPhones and their stuff. They're playing the music, and, and the song came on. Oh, that's my favorite song, the one girl said. I said, oh, what's it called? Trumpets. I think that's what she said. I don't know the song. I said, oh, well, listen to trumpets. All of a sudden, trumpets starts playing. And the first verse, or first sentence, I made a face. And then it got to the chorus. And the trumpets go this way, and the drums go this way. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I had to stop. I'm like, wait a minute, time out, time out. I said, I said to the group, I mean, Jalen's there. She's my daughter, but there's a group. I said, time out. I'm totally being dad right now. I know that, but you're going to have to just handle this. Okay, why is the dude playing the trumpets? And one girl said, because he wants to be in the orchestra. <laughs> but here's what the verse said. It starts out, and I don't know it word for word, but here's what I heard. Every time you undress, hmm, what's that mean? I think naked, okay. Every time you undress, I watch you or I see you and I write a song about what I see and the song that I write makes the trumpets go and, and I said, wait a minute, why is the dude writing a song? I don't know. What's he looking at? The girl undressing. That's a problem! That's a problem. That's a problem. She said to me, she said, I never listened to the words before, and I believe her. I believe her. Because the enemy's good at getting stuff in us. I believe her. So I became dad, and I'll always be dad because that's my job, and that's my number one job. Number one is husband. Okay, number one is follower of Jesus Christ, but okay. And then husband and then father. But I'm dad. And I had to say, hey, you know what? There's a problem if this is the kind of music we're allowing. Where are the dads? Dad, do you know what your daughters are listening to? Because I don't know about you, dad, but I don't want my 13-year-old daughter thinking it's okay to undress in front of a guy even if he's got a trumpet to sing and play with. Problem is, She's got to know, hey, this isn't what we... I'm going to show you how to look for a guy who's going to love you the way you need to be loved. I'm going to show you. And this rebellious stuff, here's the boundaries. This is what we do and what we don't do. Not because I want to be a, a, a militant, but because I want you to walk before the Lord in his righteousness and in the beauty of who he has called you to be. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.